Porn Free Radio, episode 111, the top three lies partners believe with Hope Ray. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life, free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach, and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. Hello and welcome to Porn Free Radio. I'm so excited that you're here and I'm excited to share this episode with you. We're welcoming back one of our favorite guests, Hope Ray. Now, Hope Ray first joined us in episodes 70 and 74. And that's where we took questions from you, the listener, uh, about uh, issues that partners face in recovery. So these are the girlfriends, the wives, uh, those who support us, our spouses in recovery. And Hope is a specialist. She works a lot with partners and dealing with their own trauma and their own healing journey uh, as their husbands, as their boyfriends uh, get into recovery and start dealing with uh, their porn addiction and their sex addiction. And Hope has actually started working with couples too and doing intensives. And we'll talk a little bit about that in her interview. Uh, Today, we're going to focus specifically on three lies that partners face uh, when dealing with the addiction of their husbands and boyfriends and spouses. So we're going to get into that in a minute. I want to make one comment about the spring session of Rev Group Coaching registration is closed. So we closed registration March 24th. The groups are essentially full. We're ready to start. Um, I did notice though today, and when you're hearing this episode, if you're one of the guys who listens in the first week that it comes out, there was exactly one spot available in each of the Thursday night groups. So there's a group at 7 p.m. Eastern and a group at 9 p.m. Eastern. So if you're hearing this in the next week, uh, this is I'm, I'm going to launch this March 28th, 2017. There might be a chance to get on the waiting list or get one of those last spots. Now, if you're interested in getting information about the July Rev groups, go ahead and fill out an application. Uh, it doesn't commit you to being a part, but it will put you first in line for the next available spot. As I said, there's potentially two spots still open. Uh, for the spring. So it's not too late if you can get your act together and fill out the application. So go to pornfreeradio.com slash rev. That's pornfreeradio.com slash rev. And don't miss out. Don't wait till July. Uh, if you have a feeling you should do it now. All right. So let's get into this great interview with my friend, Hope Ray. Hope Ray, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. It's so good to see you. Thank you, Matt. I'm happy to be back with you. And, you you know, you were with us in episode 70 and episode 74. Those have been downloaded a lot. Um, We've gotten great feedback from the Porn Free Radio audience. And I know guys have listened with their wives and partners. And um, it's just been amazing to to just see guys and and their partners connect um, in a positive way in recovery and just talking about these issues and things that come up. And, and so it's just been a great service that you've given to Porn Free Radio. And I really appreciate you coming back. Well, that's good news. I love being able to share some hope about, 
you know, the fact that partners can heal. And, uh, and you know what, a lot of times their spouses can really help them do that too. So important yeah, I, information. I definitely found that for myself, like my wife was always supportive. And initially, that's what I really needed. I didn't need her to be the porn police. I didn't need her to uh, shame me. But I did need her love. And I did definitely needed her support to to move into some areas that were really tough for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think sometimes people forget, or at least I, for, I forgot this is, you know, this was an addiction and a struggle that I had for years. And so just being married didn't fix me. Yeah. Uh, right. And and when I actually got serious about getting in recovery, I still made a lot of mistakes and really needed her support. And so it it so that to to really uh, um, to kind of circle back now after working with guys and who are in recovery of looking for ways to support her and support other women who are in the process of. Uh, you know, being partners, being married, being girlfriends to guys who struggle with porn addiction, that's, that's really why you're here. So yeah. And you know, partners can heal. This is most often a, a problem they never asked for, they didn't sign up for it, they didn't know what was going on. And so, you know, the hopelessness of that is that they feel roped into something. A lot of times partners can be tempted to sit back and kind of wait and watch and see how their partner will get himself better. Uh, but the truth is that even if he were perfect from today forward, that wouldn't heal the sense of betrayal that you felt as a partner. And so what I really, really uh, have a heart for is helping partners identify strategies and game plans for their own healing uh, to really allow them to not feel like they need to be in control of his situation, but to allow him to take the initiative and the leadership for his problem that he needs to. But that alone won't heal the relationship. And so there's, there's a two-way street when it comes to mending a relationship. And if a partner's choosing that, that she's going to not heal or she's waiting for him to heal her, uh, she will end up feeling stuck. Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, three lies that partners believe and how to overcome them. And we're going to talk specifically, we're going to share a tool uh, for partners called an impact letter and how to, how to write an impact letter uh, about how the porn has affected you. And, and we're going to get into how a little bit about that tool. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about this new practice that you're doing in terms of working uh, intensively with couples um, who fly into Michigan to work with you for a period of time and kind of what that looks like and some of the, uh, some of the excitement that you have around uh, that work and, and who would be a good uh, who would be good candidates for that type of uh, that type of therapy? Sound good? Sounds great. Great. Well, let's let's get in. What are what are some of these three the, these lies that partners believe? Well, and first of all, let's start with the word lie. I think most partners uh, are very realistic uh, when they get hit with this problem of betrayal by porn in their marriage or in their relationship, uh, they're not looking to be deceived any longer, right? Uh, the truth is though, sometimes uh, certain thoughts or beliefs can surface per, for partners. And a lot of times they aren't recognizing that they're operating with some of these faulty beliefs on board. One of those that I see often is a partner will wonder, you know, 
well, what if I just, you know, kind of upped the ante in our sex life? What if I were to buy a certain style of lingerie? Or what if I were to make it more romantic or, or give him sex more often? Uh, you know, do you think that would help? And when I hear questions like that, it's a bit of a red flag for me. I see that the partner is burdening herself as if she herself is not enticing enough, that she really needs to do something to command his attention back toward her, and maybe that would solve his porn issue. The truth is, though, if he has a porn issue, that decision he's made to generate that habit uh, has nothing to do with your level of attraction. In fact, um, a lot of times the second lie that I see partners kind of clinging to, unknowingly so, is that, you know, it's not just that maybe I'm not pornographic enough or, you know, not sexy enough, but maybe I, I just have been too involved with my children or I haven't given him enough attention. And so, you know, maybe he's feeling lonely and this and that. Now, a lot of times when I hear partners talking like that, they're still angry. They're still hurt. They don't think it's fair that he's done these things. He's broke their vows or the the fidelity of the agreement in their relationship. But at the same time, they wonder, you know, did I have something to do with this? And so a lot of partners find themselves on this continuum where they're wondering, you know, if I've over-focused on being a mom or after I had my baby and I fell into some postpartum depression, maybe that's when uh, the connection between us broke and he went elsewhere. The truth is that um, you know, any of those situations may be the case, but when somebody chooses to use pornography and then developing a habit, uh, repeating the behavior over time, uh, there's really nothing a partner can do to command his tension, attention away from that. Um, this, these lies end up leaving partners feeling hopeless. They feel unwanted. They feel a burden that they need to do something to fix the situation or that they've contributed somehow and need to take responsibility in helping bring him back uh, or get him away from porn. A third lie that I hear uh, is that if he understood how bad this hurts me, then he would stop. You know, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to just let them know. I'm going to read them the riot act. Don't you see my pain? Uh, sometimes partners here will throw out ultimatums in order to convey the amount of pain that they're in. Uh, I'm going to leave if you don't stop this. Or, um, you know, I feel like I'm dying inside. Don't you see my pain? And while partners need to feel understood, that's absolutely so. Uh, being understood by the person using porn isn't going to change his habit. See, nobody can generate surrender for another person. And so when a partner finds herself trying to demonstrate how much pain she's in, um, really she's looking to be heard, but she should be mindful that that's not going to be his solution. He will need to take proactive steps, put protocols and structure around his behavior in order to get better. Let me... Let me circle back. I want to I want to go through these lies one by one and ask you some questions about them. So the first one is this idea that I'm not good enough. Like I can't measure up to porn. Like mm -hmm. there's something about me that just isn't enough. And um, it, it's interesting. Janice and I went to um, uh, Hamilton last night. Uh, the the musical. And in the musical, there's this actual point where Alexander Hamilton is, um, he's kind of torn by his work. And then he also has an affair. And 
his wife sings this song, which is um, very poignant at one point. And she's basically saying, you know, would you come to bed? Would you, would you just be with me? Um, um, it, and she said, it would be enough. She keeps saying that. It, it's this idea that if it would be enough to just be with her and he wouldn't need these, these other things in his life. And there's a sadness to it because the, the underlying belief I think that she has is that it's not enough, that he always wants more, um, that he's, he's distracted by, and, and um, that somehow she's not enough or that her family's not enough for him. And, and so it's, it was poignant in a sense. And I think that's one thing that partners do get into the trap of. And, and for, for someone who's struggled with porn like me, that one of the truths is that um, you can't compete with the endless novelty variety uh, of, of porn. It's just, it's just, it's just something you can't compete with. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like trying to compete with it is a losing proposition. Like, like, um, but I think there's something you, we were talking about this earlier. There's something more powerful that a partner can give. A good and healthy sex life is revolved around intimacy. Healthy sex is generated around knowing each other, caring for one another, experiencing each other at a depth you don't share with anybody. It's not about intensity. It's not about variety. If we think about porn for a minute, you know, we use words like novelty, etc. But, you know, pornography, uh, the darkness of it is that it creates an insatiable arousal template. There's so many different forms. There's so many different ways that, uh, that people are enacting sex in pornography. There's so many multiple factors that simply can't be replicated at home. You know, each partner is always going to look the same. She's always going to have the same preferences for the most part. She's going to have the same needs. Uh, She's going to have emotions that need to be tended to. Uh, Sex can be a little bit, a little bit of work sometimes in a healthy relationship because when intimacy is at its core, then sex doesn't always end with, you know, uh, fireworks and, and orgasms. Quite frankly, sometimes sex is just sexual touching, bonding together and falling asleep. And that's good. See, if we, if we rate sex based on intensity, uh, then we've lost sight of intimacy. Pornography is a world of variety, anything and everything you could imagine in front of you without any hard work. And so when partners feel that they need to, quote, compete with that, it's such a losing battle. Uh, it's, it's really, really important for partners to understand that they are enough. But if their husband has generated a porn habit, what he's done is he's fattened his stomach. He has uh, a need for more than he should be putting into his stomach to fill his belly. I like to use this example sometimes with partners. I picture, let's think of somebody who's extremely obese, somebody who needs to be lifted by a crane. They can't even leave their bed, right? You know, a normal stomach is only so big. You know, it gets full after eating, you know, a few slices of pizza. But a stomach that's been enlarged beyond a healthy measure can eat a few pizzas. And the truth is that when when a man has a porn habit or a porn addiction, Uh, He has created too much of an appetite, and he has 
he has really disallowed his wife to fill that because he's created so much room in his stomach that she in and of herself who is enough is not enough for him in that moment. Why? Because he's in, involved so much variety in his sexual template that, uh, that he really uh, has fused his arousal with things other than just what his wife can provide. And he's really uh, moved away from intimacy. The thing I like about that example, and I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it like that. The reason why it's never enough is because if you're constantly stretching your stomach, you never feel full. And that would totally line up with this idea of when you get into the addiction that it's never good enough. You're always chasing that high. You're always chasing that sense of fullness and you never get it right. because every time you go for it, you're sort of extending that stomach wall. And, and so you never can really fill it, fill it up. So. And when partners assign themselves to trying to fill a stomach that's way too large, uh, they end up feeling so hopeless. And really, they burden themselves with responsibility. That's his. His right. responsibility is to give himself the bariatric surgery, right? right. To cut himself off from the, uh, the vor voracious appetite he's generated for himself. Let's get into the, the, the next lie that you talked about. So there's the one about, the first one was like not being good enough, not measuring up to the standard, competing, um, what about this idea of, did I do something to cause this? Like, mm -hmm. did my getting involved with my kids or did my, you know, getting older, did I do something that caused this? Uh, I, I've, I've heard this a few times from guys on the other end uh, where they talk about um, their wife going through pregnancy or through a life change that's affecting sex. And so, for them, they use that as as a as a green light um, to go to porn. Like, well, having sex isn't an option right now, so I can go to this. What? How does that affect the partner when when she's kind of going through this idea of did I have something that caused this? Did I do right. something that caused this? You know, when a man uses those excuses as an entitlement to go and break his marriage vows, uh, you know, the partner then is left in a position of feeling like uh, they really have contributed to this. And that blame shifting, we often call it gaslighting, you know, where uh, somebody has a, a tried and true porn addiction and they're using excuses in their life to generate entitlement to go toward that. Well, you aren't having sex with me. Or, well, you know, you go to bed early and I'm not ready for bed yet. Or you never initiate. And, you know, while those can be common problems in marriage, uh, they don't warrant anybody from breaking their marriage vows, right? If porn was never an agreement between the two of you, then it can't just become some sort of entitled endeavor for a spouse who's feeling uh, disconnected from his wife. In fact, communication and therapy can be a really helpful thing there, not pornography. Pornography is no therapy. In fact, it just creates so much turmoil and distrust in the relationship. You know, for partners in that position, uh, they really end up finding themselves uh, feeling hopeless. And, and it becomes such a struggle uh, and such an angry one between the spouses. How, how can I claim your attention back toward me? What must I do? A lot of times partners begin to generate some feelings of disgust and they get, they kind of resign themselves to this is how men are, you know, they generalize that, that men really are insatiable and that they just want all this disgusting 
extramarital stuff, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. I, again, boy, you brought another term that I've never heard used in this case, but it makes so much sense, this idea of gaslighting, that when a, a guy uh, who's got a tried and true porn addiction, when he starts figuring out ways to blame the victim in this case, mm-hmm. you know, oh, um, I mean, I've seen this with guys who get into fights with their wife. And so they use the, uh, they use the rejection or the pain of that anger that came up in the fight to be a, uh, a reason, an entitlement to go to porn. Mm-hmm. Um, or they use some sort of physical distance, you know, whether it's travel, or, you know, whether it's sickness or something else, you know, pregnancy to, yeah. to be an example. Yeah, I th- or be a reason that porn's a good idea. Right. So what they're doing is they're setting their sexual need above the need for intimacy, right? And that that just that's a losing situation for a partner. And as a, as a guy who's come out of porn addiction, that, um, by doing that, by blaming, it's like, you don't take responsibility, not only for doing what you need to do in recovery, but you're not taking responsibility for cultivating intimacy. Right. By by saying yes to that entitlement, by saying yes to giving the green light to your own sort of faulty wiring and mistaken beliefs, you, you know, you basically turn your back on intimacy. Absolutely. You say, you say, I'd rather go to this thing, my computer, than to do the hard work of, of being connected and known, even if I can't uh, have an orgasm. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. So uh, two, I mean, two great pictures so far. The idea of the, um, the obese, the morbidly obese guy who keeps filling his stomach and, and all of a sudden has this huge gap to fill and can never be full. And then this idea of gaslighting, of, of blaming, blaming your partner for what you didn't get or what you can't get and, and making that a reason to go to porn. Let's go to this third one. And I know I'm, 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 I'm processing it for myself, but I know there's partners listening who are processing it on the other side, but I'm thinking about it from my perspective. This last one, yeah, if he really understood how much this hurt me, then he wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those ones that gets triggered over and over if you're dealing with a partner who's relapsing. Every time they relapse, this lie comes up or this... Uh, what, what was you said a faulty belief? So it's it's uh, it's this idea that this keeps getting triggered every time there's a relapse. Absolutely, yeah. You know, if he understood how bad this hurts me, then maybe he would stop. A lot of partners are looking for their husbands to have a spiritual experience, whether they're Christians or Muslims or whatever. They oftentimes say, "Well, maybe if he has some sort of big surrender, then he would get it and move forward." We have to acknowledge the way our brains are developed, though. And our brains, uh, over time, with repeated habits, develop neural passageways. This is no excuse to keep going back to that habit, right? But the reality is many guys have developed such a porn addiction that they're now fighting against their own brain. She could generate any kind of consequence, and it may not be enough for him to stop. This is why I ask partners to alleviate themselves from creating ultimatums that they aren't prepared to follow through with. Because for instance, if she says, 
you know, I'll leave you if you don't get help. And then he goes and he gets some help. Well, that ultimatum proved successful, at least in him, him initiating some help. But then if she uses it again, if you ever look at pornography again, I'm leaving you, but then it happens. Uh, you know, at some point, partners find themselves sometimes not prepared to follow through with those ultimatums. And so a more powerful approach really would be releasing yourself as a partner from trying to create a consequence for him, understanding that he alone is responsible for generating the surrender he needs to follow through with healing and recovering from his problem. And it doesn't mean you should be uninvolved. In fact, check-ins are really important. Matt, you and I have talked about those on a previous podcast. Uh, partners get to know what's going on in the recovery, but they simply have very limited amount of influence and power when it comes to him actually stopping his behaviors. Men need to take leadership and initiation for their problem here. And when they cast blame over to the partner's side, what they do is they diffuse the problem off their plate and they really burden her with thinking she has something to do with helping him get better. Yeah, we did a whole podcast since you and I have talked about fast check-ins. Um, and I actually went back to the source, your, your friend, uh, Milton Magnus, and read through uh, all of his chapters where he talks about the fast check-in. And one thing, and I've kind of extrapolated it to a check-in model that you can use with your accountability partner or even in, we use it in group coaching as a way to just organize check-ins so that people are talking about feelings, activities and recovery, talking about threats that are coming up, um, giving a slip report, uh, talking about tools they're using. Mm -hmm. So we, we do that, I think it was episode 105 or 106, I, can't, I was gonna look it up right now, but I can't multitask. Um, but we went through all that. But interestingly enough, when Milton wrote about it, he talked about this idea of even in the check-in, the guy who's in recovery is taking full responsibility for the check-in and that the partner doesn't even really give feedback, mm -hmm. that it's more of a chance for him to take responsibility, to really talk through all these things. And it's not a place for her to give advice or to steer things. It's really for him to give a report of what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, and I thought that was interesting because, of course, I thought, well, you know, she should be giving feedback and thoughts. And, and, uh, but I think what his idea was is um, this is primarily for him to really account for his recovery. So I thought that was interesting. And, and I, I love that point about there's no way that you as a partner can generate the surrender of your husband, boyfriend, I think that's a great point. I've, I've had a couple of coaching clients who came because their wives did the it looked up my website and kind of said, here's the application, take care of this buddy. <laughs> and, and it's worked in some sense, they've gone for it, but, but I could easily see a situation where they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. um, and they were doing this out of fear or to try to appease uh, their partner and it would blow up. It wouldn't have the result. Now we've had some good results, but I do think there's something powerful about a wife saying, Hey, I think you need help. These are some ideas um, that happened to me. When, when I first got discovered with my porn addiction, my wife had heard about a group that I could go to printed out the application. And it was interesting. I had been considering it. And about 30 days after disclosure, I had a moment where I got uh, kind of, she was out of town, I got triggered, 
and I, and I didn't act out, but I was really scared at the proposition of acting out. And I remember seeing that application on my bedside table and went, I really need to do this. Mm. Um, like she had kind of laid the seeds, pushed, mm-hmm. and I, you know, she's, she pushes in a very influential way. She's a very strong, <laughs> strong, <laughs> strong person. Um, but ultimately that one night, I remember getting that application going, I need this for me. Mm-hmm. So that's the perfect scenario. Mm-hmm. And here's why. See, it's really hard to ask a partner who's been betrayed by maybe years worth of porn use. And a lot of times these situations are so painful. It's been a sexless marriage. And then she finds out, you know, he's not impotent. He's using porn this whole time. Or, you know, it's it. They thought they had a great sex life and she didn't realize that he was masturbating multiple times a day before or after uh, they had sex. Or she's questioning, you know, does he even see me? when we have sex. So the pain of the pornography use really makes it hard to ask a partner, well, can you be supportive of him getting help? And so what we find is that, you know, if a partner is able to detach and understand that these lies, you know, uh, are not true, you don't have something to do with this. Uh, It can assist her in detaching, but truthfully, most partners find that hard. They're angry, they're hurt, they're upset, and they're, they're very betrayed. And so here's why we ask them to, to try and do their best to allow their partner to get help and to, to initiate that himself. Uh, they can always share resources. You know, here's Matt Dobshoot's podcast. Here's the groups he runs. Here's a book to read. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when you as a partner watch your spouse in his natural habitat, you get to learn a lot of information. And see, what's really important for you is that you realize he's doing this because he recognizes that he has a problem, that he has a default mode that is bigger than him and that he will continue on that course. He'll continue defaulting back to that behavior until he takes a stand for it. And so you want to watch him to some degree in his natural habitat so you can observe and see what you got. You know, partners need a lot of information about the willingness and the surrender of their husbands. And if, if he's taking measures and great strides on his own accord, that's going to help convince her that he's doing this because he's doing this. He's not doing this because I gave him the prescription and he knows how to please me because trust needs to be rebuilt. Right. And part of rebuilding trust is, you know, if you can't trust his words because he's used his words to lie to you in the past, you have to trust his actions. When you prescribe his actions, it's hard to trust those things. Right. Yeah. If you're pulling all the strings, um, you're, there's always that doubt that, if, if I wasn't here, you know, it would just go back to whatever it was. And I, guys fall into that lie all the time, you know, and I see it, um, I see it in check-ins. You know, we use our tribe, the Porn Free Radio community uses our tribe for check-ins and I'm friends with like 400 people. Well, I see check-ins every week where it's like my wife's out of town tonight. My wife's out for tonight and I'm really triggered. And I think that's great to reach out and so that, but I also hear a passiveness of like, when my wife's here, I don't have to worry as much about my porn addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you make your wife your security guard, you're not doing recovery. Right, exactly. And, And I'm not saying that you're not, there isn't a threat when your wife's out of town and you need support. But if your recovery is contingent on your wife being around, your wife asking questions, your wife sharing your computer, your wife getting your covenant eyes report, 
then are you really doing the work you need for recovery? Right. Right. Um, because, uh, or, or is she, it, it, or is, yeah, is she the security guard or the security blanket? Mm-hmm. I wanted to transition, Hope, you talked about a tool, or we, I want to talk about this tool of the impact letter and tell me a little bit about that and how that can be a tool that partners can use. Yeah. Well, this comes from the book that I've been writing for a while, and I've decided to make uh, some, some tangible resources before the book comes out, because I want to get this in the hands of partners who are really looking to heal, looking to organize their story, and feel like they can insert their voice into the narrative. Like we said at the beginning, you know, m- most partners didn't know this was an issue before they committed to their relationship. And the partners who did know didn't really understand maybe that it was such an issue. Usually there's a lot of lies or concealing attempts that go on with a porn addiction. And so partners are left to really, you know, have to figure out their reality by searching uh, and and finding uh, the pornography use and then confronting him about it. Oftentimes then there's, there's lots of trickle disclosure or staggered disclosure, or they minimize how much porn they're really using. And, and so, you know, partners have, uh, they, they generate uh, a sense of not just betrayal, but of reality collapse. It's like, you know, I can't tell if this man who I love so much is being honest with me or not. I can't trust him. Uh, I feel like I can't go away for the weekend to my son's soccer tournament because, you know, that might leave him to work out or to act out. And at the end of the day, they they really kind of dim themselves down. They live less vibrant lives as a result of trying to protect themselves from being betrayed by their husband's porn use. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go into each partner's story. Each partner has has her own variety and flavor of betrayal. But the betrayal story becomes a really important thing to sort through. Uh, a lot of times it can feel like this big looming cloud over their life. And when they can take various aspects and collect each um, impact from that story, they can put it uh, on paper and create their narrative. Their narrative is something that their their husband or their, their boyfriend needs to see. And it's not an angry letter. It's not written at him to tell him insights about his recovery and what he needs to do. It's actually an expose about her heart, about what she's been through. And yes, she's probably told him a lot of the things uh, that she would in, include in her letter, but the idea of collecting it all together is a really healing experience for a partner. And so this is what I'm writing my book on, but what I've provided here for partners listening is a tool for them to get started. It outlines the six chapters of the impact letter and allows them to just begin putting their thoughts on paper. A lot of times partners have journaled through this experience and they find that they collect different portions of their journal to insert it into the letter. Uh, Most impact letters end up being much longer uh, than most partners originally intend because they have a lot to say and they have a lot to organize in their heart. So the so this uh, template that Hope has created, um, I'm going to make available at pornforradio.com/hope. That's pornforradio.com/hope. You can get um, Hope's template for writing this impact letter. But I I hope I really think this is a a great idea of really taking a uh, an assessment of how this has affected the partner. 
um, how this has really affected her. Because one, if, if I see one mistake on the other side of this uh, addiction is making it all about the addict, mm -hmm. or making it all about the guy who's got the porn problem. Everything is focused on him. And actually taking the time to go through what's the impact been to me? Right. What are, that's why we started with these idea of these three lies. What are the, what are the lies, the mistaken beliefs that I've been listening to as a result of my husband's addiction? Mm -hmm. um, and, and what are, what's the truth? You know, uh, one thing that we say a lot in, in our coaching, my, uh, my coaching program, and, and then even on the podcast is, you know, what's the liberating truth behind, behind this lie that I believe in? Mm -hmm. And so like, I, you know, when I just look at this idea of I'm not good enough, the, I, you know, the, the truth is you're good enough and you'll never compete with porn in, in, but you can, you can have great intimacy. You know, you can never, you can never compete with porn's endless supply of, of, uh, uh, of variety and, and um, content. But, but you can have great intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is where I think it's apples and oranges. When you say the word intimacy, you know, it really allows us to say it's not a competition at all. Right. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, pornography, which is a pizza that has, you know, a bunch of toppings, you know, and then you have, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, healthy apple. And they're two different subject matters. Uh, both can be used to fill the same place. But, you know, one is healthy and one is not. And, you know, for a woman to think, well, I need to become a greasy pizza, uh, that really puts pressure on her that eliminates uh, the value of what she is, who she is, and what she has to offer. And so competing is never the answer. Right. Now, now, is that one of the chapters in the book, Becoming a Greasy Pizza? <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Maybe you'll write that. Maybe you could do the foreword about the greasy pizza or something like that. I, don't, I, I think that. that would get me in trouble with a lot of partners. Who, <laughs> is, um, um, that's, that's another good one. I love the food connections here. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so this impact letter, I like the idea of taking the responsibility of how things are impacting you. Mm -hmm. uh, even journaling some of the lies, journaling some of the things uh, some of the impact that you've had. And, and it may be something that you share with your partner. And, and again, it's not to share, to generate surrender, mm -hmm. but it is, I think, more powerful than just an ultimatum. Right. Um, and, uh, and I do think, I mean, if I really think about one of the powerful things about recovery for me, one of the motivators in a healthy way was, seeing the pain that I caused and really understanding the consequence and impact um, helped. Wasn't the only thing because God knows I needed tools and lots of other support mm -hmm. to really get rid of this, but that was one thing that helped. Yeah. And, and, and I say it's one of the major things that keeps me sober is I don't want to go back to that place of not being trusted, of causing pain, um, bringing bringing this back into my intimacy and in marriage. But if you think about it, Matt, the reason that is powerful in keeping you sober now, it would have to do with the fact that you have healthy thinking. 
right? When you're caught up in an addiction, before the addiction is arrested, so many cognitive distortions are at play. This is why it's hard for men to be persuaded by the pain of their partner alone. And so once the addiction is arrested, they have healthy protocols, they've got structure, they've got surrender, they're not keeping secrets anymore. Uh, then their, their thinking begins to clear up, right? And once they have clear thinking, they can get back to thinking like a healthy person does. Oh boy, I don't want to go down that road because that road will be so painful for my partner. That road will bring destruction to our marriage or to our relationship. And so, but they can't clear up their thinking until they clear up their behavior. And that's why when partners are trying to work with helping fix their thinking before the addiction is really uh, structured and organized um, and, and, you know, arrested, uh, it's a losing battle. And so many, many partners, I got to give them credit because they come to insights about their husband's addictions before their husbands do. Most of the time, that's the case. But when they go about trying to share all of those uh, insights with their husbands, uh, you know, they feel like they're not being heard. It's funny too, Matt, you probably have experienced this in the groups you run, but sometimes, you know, a guy who's, who's recovering from a porn addiction will be sitting in a group and one of, his, one of his fellow group members says something real simple to him and something really clicks, you know? And he goes home and he tells his wife, all this time I've been thinking this and then this guy said this to me and now I get it. And she's looking at him saying, I've been saying that to you all along, right? <laughs> but see, the thinking can't change until the behavior is arrested. It's a behavioral addiction. That's why we use a lot of food you know, analogies because that too can be a behavior that gets out of control. But you know, if you think about with substances, um, if somebody's drinking a lot, they're inebriated, their thinking is, is impaired. The same can happen with behavioral addictions because of the types of chemicals that flush through your body right? Because sure. of the types of thinking that come along with trying to keep your life secret. I'll, I'll give you one more food analogy here that I, I think is something I've really experienced in healthy sexuality and connection and intimacy is, um, you know, I, both of my kids are, are adopted. And so when you go through an adoption process, you read a lot about, um, for example, kids that were in orphanages or in institutional care. Mm -hmm. And you, you just educate yourself. What are some things that you might see? And one thing that, that you can see is uh, hoarding food. Mm -hmm. That's because food was inconsistent or food wasn't given uh, when the child wanted it, that type of thing. And so, oh, you know, kind of hiding food or packing food away is kind of this idea, like I'll take care of myself by hoarding this food. Right. And in some ways, you know, pornography is kind of like hoarding food. It's this sense of, I have these needs and I need to fill up whenever I get a chance because I might be empty or I might, I might get hungry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so as you move into healthy intimacy with your wife and growing, you start to realize, well, first of all, I don't need to fill my stomach every minute of the day. Mm -hmm. I, I can have these powerful connections where I get full and I don't need, you know, to keep going back, you know, every, every hour or, you know, uh, and then there's sometimes where intimacy doesn't happen. Like orgasm connection doesn't happen one night. You're tired, you're sick, whatever. And you realize I'm full. 
I don't need to go to a source, another source to get full. I can wait until Wednesday. I can wait until Thursday when we can connect and our schedules can align and, and all that. And, That's uh, right. And when, when a man harnesses his sexuality and his drive uh, and allows intimacy to be the satisfying factor there, uh, he, he opens up more of a pathway for his wife to connect with him. And it's amazing when, when men begin to harness their sexuality uh, and, and gear it toward intimacy, how much more satisfied they feel and, and how eye-opening it is to them what they've been missing out on and depriving themselves and their wives from for a long time. Yeah, that's good. Well, hey, I wanted to finish our conversation just by asking a little bit about you've started doing intensives with couples uh, where they come into Michigan and spend up to three days with you working through these challenges. And tell me a little bit about um, what that looks like and who, who's a, t- a good candidate for that type of therapy. That sounds great. Well, thanks, Matt. You know, I offer a variety of different intensives. A couple that I think are really relevant to to the listeners here today are my Complex Partner Trauma three-day intensive, and this is held here in Michigan. Uh, This is where I help partners really reclaim their sense of resiliency. We're making sure that we quarantine any behaviors that infringe on their healing and we're fine-tuning effective involvement with their partner's recovery. So this, uh, is a, this is a partner would come by herself and just work with you one-on-one. Right, okay. right. Yeah, and I want to help her overcome her triggers and be able to communicate her expectations. And not just expectations for his sobriety, but also expectations for empathy to her pain and her expectations for intimacy going forward. You know, we even look at, at uh, safeguarding against some of these lies and against being manipulated. You know, if their partner hasn't reached a sobriety place yet, we make sure that partners have eyes and ears to protect themselves. And so I'm just helping them navigate through the layers of complex partner trauma. This is the model that I've developed. It's being used all over across the U.S. They've used it at the Meadows Treatment Center. And, you know, it's really neat to have packaged this into a three-day intensive to help women uh, come do some hard work and then leave going home feeling like they have a game plan for healing and a renewed sense of self. So that's something I offer for partners. And that's I also- cool. hey, hey, Hope, I just got an email from a therapist at Meadows oh, neat. Uh, who listens to Porn Free Radio. So I just thought literally right before we got on the call. So that's cool. Uh, oh, how cool. Yeah. I offer a resilient marriage three-day couples intensive, and this is for couples who are feeling stuck. What I've found is that when couples are feeling stuck, it usually has to do with one of three things, trust, intimacy, and that's emotional or sexual intimacy, and empathy. And so when there's some, some sort of roadblocks with trust, intimacy, or empathy, uh, partners find that they are stuck. And you know, being stuck can actually help, you know, a marriage move forward, but being stuck can also uh, really generate a sense of hopelessness and, and grief, you know, after a long battle with 
with pornography, uh, partners decide at, after some point, you know, how much longer can I take this? And so that stuck place really needs to get um, unstuck and we need help doing that sometimes. So this particular intensive uh, helps couples experience effective check-ins. We work on building empathy, reducing defensiveness. Uh, we talk about the betrayal, you know, and, and give them tools to help them uh, have successful conversations without shutting down or getting defensive or, um, you know, I think it's really important uh, to, to help partners and, and their husbands find ways to thoroughly repair arguments, because a lot of times they're arguing about things for so long that really no resolve comes, and they find themselves, again, stuck in certain patterns of arguments. So this, this intensive is about helping them navigate, you know, not just their communication, but their empathy, their trust, and their intimacy. So that's one other. And then, and then the third disclosure that I think might be relevant to your listeners, Matt, is my, um, my uh, three-day couples intensive where we, we navigate disclosure. Mm. And th this is a really powerful one. I had the privilege to train firsthand uh, with Dr. Milton Magnus, who you mentioned earlier. And I run his Hope and Freedom Intensives here in Michigan. This is a three-day intensive where a couple will come out and they will go through the process of disclosure. Uh, they have the option of a polygraph, and it really ends up being uh, a time to not only support the partner in her pain and help him understand how to do so, but to get the truth out on the table and allow that couple to move forward uh, with no more secrets. It is such a powerful thing. Just finished one up last night. It was a beautiful time. That's awesome. And I, I think that you know, intensives are, are intense. Uh, that's how they get their name. But, um, but I think, you know, we get so stuck in these habits uh, and we get stuck in even these patterns of talking about this issue, fighting, arguing, that nothing ever changes. And, yeah. um, and I know from my vantage point, one thing that was really hard about the disclosure process was I felt really misunderstood hmm. because I'm grappling with this addiction I've had my whole life that I didn't ask for, by the way, when I was eight and exposed to pornography, I didn't know that this was going to be a lifelong challenge for me. I didn't know that I would always be looking for it and uh, get, get more bonded to it as I grew. And, you know, as I went through puberty and young adulthood, so so there's this piece of it that I take full responsibility for my choices and think places I went, but also knowing that this is something that's always affected me and, and feeling really misunderstood. Um, you know, as a Christian, I, I know that I felt really misunderstood morally. Like, you know, there's a, a, there's a question that I'm sure a lot of partners have of, you know, my husband's a Christian. This is obviously sinful or outside of our faith and understanding of sexuality, why would he ever do this? And I asked, I would struggle the same question. Um, so what I think is powerful and for, for, for guys who are maybe scared to do this intensive, I think the powerful thing is, is having a third party like yourself who's trained, who can help translate some of these feelings and experiences so your partner can understand you more. Um, you speak, <laughs> you're kind of like a translator. You speak to both guys who are struggling and to their partners and you can help translate uh, 
what she's feeling to him and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know this. I remember when I first went to marriage therapy, I was kind of scared to death that it was going to be the therapist and my wife against me. And I was going to be the only one, uh, you know, who needed a change or who needed to do something different. And I was shocked when I got there, when the therapist explained something that I had tried to explain to my wife and, um, and I realized she was helping me, uh, advocating for me. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to keep going. Now, my wife got in the car and got angry. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was yeah. upset because she wasn't right. No, mm-hmm. just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but she, it, it, no, it was cool to see that there was back and forth. There wasn't, it wasn't always Janice is right and you're completely wrong. Um, the therapist was able to advocate for both of us and, and more importantly, advocate for the relationship. And um, so I think that's a really powerful thing. If you're a guy out there going, I'm really stuck trying to get past this hurdle, but I also am trying to rebuild trust with my wife. This is a potentially powerful tool that you could use. Absolutely. And, you know, partners are hungry for insights. Where did this come from, this addiction? Why do you do this still? Why are you into that? type of thing. Uh, they're hungry for those insights, but I'll tell you what, what their most basic need is on the hierarchy is to be heard. They need to know that he understands what this has done to her. And so the intensive is able to focus on helping him in that regard, allowing her then to feel understood and therefore somewhat maybe engaged and and open to supporting him as he moves forward you know it's a very painful time for both people but for very different reasons and you're right navigating that sometimes really requires a third party to help orchestrate and facilitate that messy stuff so hope i want to help people get contacted with you so the easiest way for people to connect with you um, and to get some of this basic information about an intensive, I think would be to download this uh, impact letter. Um, we'll, we're going to provide some information on how to connect with you. Um, I mean, you have a website, hoperaytherapy.com. That's always a place that someone could go and ask a question or connect. Uh, but a really simple way, go to pornfreeradio.com slash hope, download this impact letter, Get a, get a tool that you can use and, and start to try to use. And if you want to go to the next step or consider an intensive, um, I'll have a link. I'll send you a link that will um, link to your intensive application form and, uh, and give you some more contact information of how they can work with you further. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. And I look forward to uh, hearing from anybody who thinks this intensive might be a good fit for them. You know, as you mentioned, there is an application and we don't work with everybody who applies because we want to make sure that these intensives are going to be the best fit for your needs. So once you fill out that application, both you and your partner, then we're able to offer a a good phone consultation where we can answer any of your questions and, and conduct, you know, a screening, make sure this is the right fit for you. I want to make a quick note that my website is currently under construction this month. And so the best way to reach me would probably be to download uh, this this, um, tool that we're offering. You'll see my contact information there. Uh, You won't see a lot of info on my website currently about the intensives because like I said, we're, we're making some changes online there. Great. Well, it's great to talk to you again, Hope. And, uh, 
it's been such a, it's, it's such a service every time you come on. Cause there's so many things I'm even learning. I took a page of notes while we were talking. Um, <laughs> well, there um, won't be a test, Matt. I, uh, I think you, you do very well when it comes to understanding the partner's experience. I, listen, listen, I, I appreciate where you're going with that compliment, but I, I live with a partner <laughs> and I still can trip, trip over myself. Um, and make mistakes. And uh, I'm not perfect, by the way, you know, I, I sometimes get these emails from these um, from partners, who kind of think if if my husband was only like Matt Dobschutz, they'd be fine. And I'm like, uh, no, you wouldn't. It'd still be a lot of work. And Matt Dobschutz is not perfect. So yeah. well, that's what I love about Janice. She's not afraid to represent when, uh, when she needs to feel tough on you, right? Exactly. Oh, she's that's great. the truth. That's the truth. And it's her birthday today. So Aww, happy birthday, Janet. Uh, she's, uh, she's at Beauty and the Beast right now with my two sons. Um, wow. One of my sons said, could we see Power Rangers? And she said, no, it's my birthday. They're seeing the movie I want to see. And they're like, okay, mom. That's good. I love it. Well, I hope she enjoys that. You know what? They're going to like it more than they realize, I'm sure. I think so. I think so. Well, thanks, Hope. Yeah, thank you, Matt, for having me be a part of your podcast again today. And I really always enjoy my time here on Porn Free Radio. Take care. You too. Well, I'm pumped up. Every time I hear Hope Ray on the show, I get excited. And you know what I love about Hope? I feel like she, and I, I said this to her, I think, is, is she speaks both languages. She speaks the language of the partner the girlfriend, the wife, she understands that part of the healing journey for them. She understands their story and she understands what they're feeling. But she also has a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion, and she really understands us guys uh, who are motivated to quit looking at porn and want to use tools, want to move forward in recovery. And I love the fact that she can go back and forth between the two and even translate some of the feelings that we have, some of the, the, the struggles that we have. Because I think in some ways we all want to be understood. We all want to be heard. And, uh, and so Hope does such a great job bridging those two things. Now, as I said in the, in the interview, if you go to pornfreeradio.com slash hope, you can download uh, her template for writing an impact letter that also has information about uh, her intensives and the things she hosts uh, in Michigan. So that's the best way to get a hold of her right now. Go to pornfreeradio.com slash hope. I'll send you her contact information and the impact letter. That's all the time I have for today, guys. And I can't wait to join you next week in episode 112. So thanks so much for listening. Guys, take hope and take action. Be good. Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.